What's going on, guys? It's Breaking Down the Bees, the Dogger Pass version, I guess, because we are on the Mayo Media Network this time around. Yes, thanks to Pat Mayo. He figured, yeah, you know what? Cody's only got 2,000 subscribers. Pat's got some 30,000 subscribers, so it does make a lot of sense to uh, try to get the more viewership out. First two UFCs of the year, not so good, especially last week. But you know what? Bellator usually been our baby, usually been one of our money makers. This is kind of a tough-looking card, but... Let's see if we can maybe right the wrongs and uh, get things going here. So 273 is going down from uh, Phoenix, Arizona. So you're going to see there's a decent amount of, not a decent amount of local Arizona talent, but they've definitely drawn from that market. And it doesn't mean that Bellator cares if they get a win or not. It's just obviously you need some people to sell tickets in a certain market. But hey, why not kick off with the headline? And we got Ryan Bayer taking on Volatine Moldovsky. It is for the Bellator MMA heavyweight title. So Bader, a former champion, he gets released from the UFC. You know, it's funny looking back. Guy goes 15-5 and five in the UFC, ends his streak on a two-fight winning streak, and they release him. You know, they needed guys at 205. He had that feud going with Daniel Cormier. Could have been a fun fight for them to book there. I don't know. Maybe he wanted too much money. Maybe they just didn't want to get in the Ryan Bader business. So they release him. And he, obviously, he still had some good years left in him. So he signs with Bellator, and he goes 5-0 right off the hop, right? Beats Phil Davis on a split, beats Linda Bissell, beats Muhammad Lawal, beats Matt Mitrione, gets the Fedor Emelianenko fight, knocks out Fedor in 35 seconds. Sky's looking the limits for this guy. Getting a little bit older, but his wrestling base got good striking, like good power in the right hand. But that wrestling base, that's key. Because Linton Vassell, good grappler, but he's got the wrestling advantage. Muhammad Lawal, great wrestler, just long in the tooth. Mitrione can't wrestle. Fedor... Well, this one really didn't get into the wrestling department, but he can take advantage of these slower, bigger, lumbering heavyweights. And I think that's what captures him, that that heavyweight title. But then dropping back down to light heavyweight, you see, yeah, he is getting a little bit slower. These guys are a little bit faster. Vadim Nemkov clips him with a head kick, wins the first round, clips him with a head kick in the second round, loses his light heavyweight title, um, and then beats Lota Machida, fights Corey Anderson's last note, clipped like, what, 51 seconds into the first round, overhand right knocks him out so here lies the kind of the problem with ryan bader's chin doesn't seem great you've seen obviously his last two losses Corey anderson not a huge power puncher but to get knocked out in 51 seconds not a great look nemkov tough guy knocked out in that one as well now all of a sudden you look at him he's one and two in the last three years two of those losses by knockout he's going back up to heavyweight to try to recapture some magic just just don't know what it's in the cards for ryan bader so you see him open up as a big underdog and as far as narratives concerned Makes sense here, right? Valtin Moldovsky, he's 6-0 and for Bellator. It looks like he's the future of the division. He is the natural heavyweight. Of course, he weighs in only about 238. He's not the biggest heavyweight going, but he's the prodigy of Fedor Emelianenko. And in many ways, there's a lot of similarities there. This guy's a two-time world Sambo champion. He's a one-time European combat Sambo champion. And I mean, just like Fedor, he'll intertwine his Sambo career with his MMA career. So he beats Roy Nelson by a three-round decision. And then three months later... He wins the World Sambo Combat Championship. So the guy's active. He's tough. He's got the Sambo base like Fedor. He's on a huge uh, heavyweight like Fedor. Comes in that 238, 240 range. He's got good cardio. The difference between him and his mentor is that Fedor's got power. Fedor eclipses you. you going down. Moldovsky, meanwhile, 6-0 in Bellator. Five of those six wins by decision. So if we're looking at Ryan Bader and what's kind of his biggest issue is that his chin's maybe not what it used to be. But with Moldovsky, not really the biggest power puncher. Is he going to clip him? Possibly. But I don't know that I'd put all my eggs in one basket. So when he opens up as a three-to-one favorite, it's worth having a look. Now, here's the key for me personally. When you look back at the Linton Vassell fight. So 
again with Moldovsky, 6-0 in Bellator, who the fuck is even fighting? So his wins, Ernest James, the fuck? Yavi Ayala, what the fuck? A 42-year-old Roy Nelson, come on. And his last time out against Tim Johnson, five-round decision. Not a bad fight, but Tim Johnson, again, limited. It's that one fight against Linton Vassell. Yes, he does win a unanimous decision, but you got to go back and rewatch it. I mean, the first round, he just gets pressed up against the cage. He'll get backed up straight to the cage. Linton Vassell dug, uh, doesn't even need the underhooks. He'll just shoot a double leg off the cage, suck the hips up, plant him on his back. Scores three takedowns in the first round. First round's a Linton Vassell round. Second round, Linton just goes back to the same thing. He gets initially stuffed in the first attempt. He just, he just creates a scramble, ends up on top. This is going to now be a Linton Vassell round. The thing is, Linton Vassell always has been known for kind of lackluster cardio. So in the second round, he starts to tire. Moldovsky ends up swinging the momentum late, steals the second round back. And then in the third round, Moldovsky looks somewhat fresh. Linton Vassell just not quite there anymore. So he's able to beat him. But you got to look at it, right? This is a guy that doesn't wrestle. He's got the combat sambo background. Sure, these guys have decent takedown defense, but they're not one of these grindy type wrestlers. With Bader, meanwhile, he's a two-time All-American out of Arizona State University. He's a three-time Pac-10 champion. This is 20 years ago, right? Keep in mind. But the majority of his MMA career, he's kind of used that wrestling to his benefit. So let's just look at his last two fights. The last winning is Corey Anderson knocked down 51 seconds. Sure. So does he want to come into this fight with Moldovsky and throw hands? Maybe. I mean, Moldovsky, not a huge power puncher, but now there was Corey Anderson. So the key for Bader would be wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. So let's look at one fight prior, Leota Machida. It's a five-round fight. In the first round, Ryan Bader opts not to really wrestle. And so what happens? He stays at distance, right? He's hesitant. He's already fought Machida once and he got knocked out, so he doesn't want to do it again. And he just stays at bay. Machida just chops him with light kicks. Second round, he takes Machida down. And with a double leg off the cage. Third round, takes Machida down. Fourth round, takes Machida down. 10-8 round, how bad he beat him up that round. Fifth round, easy money. Just take him down. The blueprint's already been created. You know how to do it. All of the takedowns generally took place right up against the cage. The more tired Machida got, he wasn't digging in the underhook to defend. He would just get taken down. And Bader fought, fights all five rounds at a good pace. So this is the head scratcher to me. I actually see the line right now starting to swing a little bit. It was uh, Valentin Moldovsky minus 325 last night. Now it's only minus 255. So money is coming in on Ryan Bader. And I got to say, I agree with it. Not, not saying he's my most confident guy. I think Bader goes out there and crushes. It's a price thing. If we never see Gone versus Ngannou, maybe I have a different thought about it. But I got burnt in that main event. The pricing was probably off in that. And you saw Francis Ngannou just use his wrestling. How does he get away? How does Francis Ngannou get away with using wrestling? He doesn't know how to wrestle. Heavyweight's not really that big, thick, grappling, heavy division. It's most of these knockout power guys. And I think Bader goes in similar game plan, right? I'm not going to win the striking exchanges with Moldovsky. I need to take him down. I need to grind him. So the price seems off. I think Bader's live. He's live if he gets the wrestling. You'll know, like if they're offering you live betting odds, you'll know within the first round or two. He'll either get the takedowns easy. And the key here is that when Moldovsky does get taken down, fucking flat on his back. Doesn't really move his hips all that much. We'll try to create a little bit of space, but there's no real sense of urgency. And a big, heavy, strong guy can hold him down. Where Linton screwed up is he got so antsy to pass, he would just try to slip over, maybe go to, maybe not try to get a, he'd go to half guard. And then from there, he'd get bold. He wants to go to side control. He wants to go to mount. He creates too much space. Moldovsky scrambles. Now he's just too tired to get the takedowns. I think Bader could just keep with his game plan. Just taking him down, taking him down, taking him down. So, yeah, I got a live underdog in the main event with Ryan Bader anyways. And it's no disrespect to Moldovsky. I do like the guy. But it's a stylistical clash. One that I think would ever so slightly favor Ryan Bader. So, the two UFC events to start off the year, you got, main, you got uh, underdogs coming through in both of them. I got a feeling that Bellator could be headed for something similar.
Benson Henderson versus Islam Mamadov. Uh, Islam Mamadov is currently minus 390, down 10 points overnight. Benson Henderson plus 320 on the comeback. Again, I do kind of get it's a 10-point line movement. I do kind of understand the line movement, though. Islam Mamadov, for a guy that has a 20, 20 wins, one loss, one draw, phenomenal-looking record. He's just not really all that impressive. They had signed him up for a World Series of Fighting seems pretty good, right? He wins his first four fights for World Series of Fighting, including a win over future million-dollar man Nathan Schult. World Series of Fighting just kind of blends over to PFL, and he takes off where he left off, right? Beats Yuki Konawa, beats Tiago Tavares. It's his Iz Diljorn fight, right? He wins a split decision. He's a huge favorite, minus 550 favorite. And there's just limitations to his game. He is from Dagestan. You know, he does know how to wrestle. Khabib Nurmagomedov will routinely appear in his corner. And yeah, they get after this guy to get the takedown. The problem is when he gets the takedown, there's not a whole lot of ground and pound. There's definitely no submission attempts. It's mostly just he'll take you down and lie on top of you. Stand-up, not great. So you can see where guys will get the edge on him in the stand-up. He'll eventually get the takedown. But he doesn't do anything with the takedown. So now it's up to the judge to say, well, what did I like more? Did I like the punches landing standing? Or did I like Mamadov on top not doing anything? That could get him in trouble. Squeaks by with a split. Beats this Yin Kao Bao, Chinese fighter. You know, it's an easy money win. Has a draw with Loic uh, Radzbadanov, and then they release him. So Bellator comes calling, right? Makes sense. They throw him up against Brent Primus, a former champion, guy that technically beat Michael Chandler once upon a time. So it's a, it's a good win. And shit, dude, it was just like the Eves fight. It's the same thing. The first round, he's not doing anything. He's getting outstruck, right? There's no real sense of urgency to him, but he gets a takedown. The second he gets a takedown, he's just asking an Omoplata attempt. He lands no ground and pound. He pretty much doesn't do anything at all. So first round would, 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 would have to be scored for Brent Primus. Second round, much of the same. His striking doesn't look all that good. He's not really throwing any strikes. He doesn't back up his opponent. He's just kind of waiting on this, this ten takedown, I guess. Brent Primus is out striking him. He takes down Primus. Primus just goes right back to these Omoplata attempts. Omoplata, Omoplata, Omoplata. He'll just isolate the arm and start working on it. And it's not like Mamanov's in any real trouble it's not like he's at threat of being submitted it's just like visually doesn't look good you're on top you're not doing anything the other guy's on the bottom but i mean he's isolating an arm he's attacking he's throwing up something when it's striking he's on top this is one one going into the third this is not a great mom at all performance and then the third round starts premise was a high kick and slips like <laughs> 10 seconds into the round Mamadov just gets right on top of him spends four minutes and 50 seconds on top <clears throat> stuck in omoplata so like, how do you score this thing? Two judges ended up giving it to him. One judge gave it to Brent Primus. I had Mamadov that night, and I, I felt fortunate. I felt fortunate we got the win because I didn't necessarily agree. It wouldn't have been a robbery by any stretch of the imagination. It's just one guy was working, and that's kind of my issue with Mamadov is that it, he's going to get burned by a judge eventually who's just like, yeah, no, you're not actually doing shit. Could this be it, right? You got Benson Henderson. He's from the Arizona area. Maybe not originally, but he's been there the last almost two decades. He's the fan favorite. The crowd will be on his side. And he's squirming. As far as his striking goes, I mean, it, it, it's tough to kind of pick up his rhythm. He throws different techniques. Sometimes he's aggressive. Sometimes he likes to hang back. He's got a good counter left. Decent from the southpaw stance at times. Good low kicks. He's crafty. There's just no real big substance there. As far as his wrestling goes, when he was in the UFC... Solid wrestling and BJJ black belt. But now at age 38, that wrestling, not quite as good. At least offensively, he's not getting guys to the ground. Defensively, he doesn't seem like the strongest lightweight. He'll routinely get backed up against the cage and a bigger, stronger guy could have some success there. When you look at this terrible run, he loses to Michael Chandler in the rematch. He gets just caught by a right hand. Chandler will do that to anybody. The Jason Jackson fight is just much better striker. Stays to the outside. 
outstrikes him. It's his fight with Brent Primus that kind of got me. It's like the striking is pr pretty good. You know, he's doing a good job striking, I suppose. Primus is not much of a striker. It's just he can't get him down, right? Primus is probably having the better action. And then when they do hit the ground, you got a block, you got a legitimate black belt on Benson Henderson here, right? He's losing all the positions. He keeps giving up his back. And when he gives up his back, Brent Primus just throws on a body triangle and locks him up. In the third round, especially, it's a close fight. In the third round, it's like time to get going. Primus pushes him up against the cage, creates a scramble, grabs his back, puts a body triangle on, and then it's like four minutes of body triangle time for Brent Primus. So Primus wins the fight. And I think to me, that was like, not Benson's washed up, but it's like these bigger, stronger grappler guys will be able to just muscle him around in the clinch and then eventually get him to the ground. As far as his black belt goes, is he submitting these guys? No. Well, then he's going to be in a similar position to Mamadov's opponents where it's like you can throw shit up off your back. It just doesn't matter. And, and of course, he's taking on Islam Mamadov. So that, that's kind of how I see this one going. I would say decision. I would say if you want to improve a four to one price tag on Islam Mamadov, you, you probably take him by decision. He's not one to, to TKO guys. Henderson's also quite durable. He's not submitting Benson Henderson. So it's going to be this game plan and just ground him and, and pound him. But the minus 400 price tag is worried to me because it's not like he ever looks like a minus 400 favorite. He's been huge favorites over guys in the past and then just kind of goes through the motions. But again, I think Khabib will be in his corner. He's going to go out there. He'll press him up against the cage. He'll get a takedown. He'll spend two minutes on top. And I'm just hoping the judges do give it to him. Of course, with the live crowd and the Arizona factor and blah, 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 blah. It could be a close fight. It could be a competitive fight. It could be another split decision fight like the Brent Primus. Do you want a four to one favorite if it's going to be close and competitive? Not necessarily. So when we make tickets, Islam's going to be on there. I took a shot on the underdog and Ryan Bader. I'm not going to make it two in a row here and go Benson. I will take Mamadov. I just don't really like this price tag. Henry Krause versus Aiden Lee. This is um, partly the problem with filming a show later on in the week is when the line drop, Henry Krause is like a two to one favorite. I want me some Aiden Lee. No doubt about that. It, it seems like everybody else wants some Aiden Lee. So the line moves to even money overnight. And now I'm seeing minus 125 Aiden Lee. He is now the favorite. I'm going to agree with it. There was a time where Henry Corrales was an absolute savage junkyard dog, a gatekeeper to the stars. Bellator brings this guy in when they need their top stars to get rounds. He effectively goes the distance, or he fights Daniel Strauss, former champion, as Bellator debut. He fights Emmanuel Sanchez to a competitive split decision. Emmanuel Sanchez is a two-time Bellator title challenger. This is his second fight. And then he loses to Patricio Pitbull Freite in his third fight, a former two-time champion. So... Like, holy shit, man. Your first three fights of the organization are two former world champions and a two-time title challenger. Tough go. Tough go. Beats Cody Bollinger, who was an overhyped prospect. Beats Noah Lahad, uh, American Kickboxing Academy's former jiu-jitsu coach. Overhyped prospect. Solid win over Georgia Karahanian. Knocks out Aaron Pico. Now he's on a five-fight winning streak. Now Henry Corrales, he's legit, right? The losses, who cares? He's fighting the best guys. Now he's hit his stride. Five-fight winning streak. Good level of competition. Savage, man. Good striking. Backs you up. Puts a pace on you. Wants that war. Stays in your face. Another Arizona guy. Fight-ready MMA. And yet, yes, he shows up in shape, ready to rock and roll out of one of the best camps. But then it's like the, the physical limitations must have got to him or age might have got to him. But he fights Darian Caldwell. Taken down. No problem. Fights Juan Archuleta. Again, this is another wrestling-heavy guy. And then they expose Henry Corrales for something that we kind of already knew. Junkyard dog. Likes to stand in your face. Likes to throw punches. Take him down. Puts him out of his element right? Throws his rhythm off, throws his timing off. You can beat him that way. 
It's this Johnny Campbell fight, right? So Bellator 258. You've got Henry Corrales as a minus 900 favorite. He is the biggest favorite on the card. He is a 9-1 to favorite. He's taking on Johnny Campbell, who is 20 wins, 13 losses. He's a regional show guy. He's never really had a shot at the big leagues. Uh, his game seems limited. But this is a huge opportunity for him. And he just went right at Corrales the way Corrales used to do to guys, right? All of a sudden, you got Johnny Campbell beating him up in the first round. Stings him. Hurts him. Second round, stings him. Hurts him. Takes him down. Chokes him out with a rear naked choke. Nine to one favorite, Henry Corrales. Blown out of the water. Pillar to post by a 20 and 13 journeyman, Johnny Campbell. So that that was the first huge sign. He was a nine to one favorite. Like, when are you going to back this guy after that? Like, he just blew a colossal ticket. The trust factor, not quite there. So they get him uh, Vlachislav Parobchenko, who <laughs> actually also lost as an eight to one favorite in his Bellator debut. So it made sense to put these two guys up against each other and see which one's the real fraud. He wins a fight. He backs him up. First two rounds, he's out striking him. Again, he's landing good combination punches. Third round drops him to the straight left, unable to put him away. But he wins 30 27. He wins all three rounds. Is that he looked a lot slower than he normally does? His punches weren't quite as snappy. And he just kind of looked a little tired. He just happened to be facing a limited opposition opponent. Against Aiden Lee, Aiden Lee is quite the opposite. Like when he was with Cage Warriors on the regional scene, didn't he didn't really look all that good. I mean, losses to Dean Truman, losses to Donovan Desme, Conman Day. These are actually all top uh, British regional scene guys, but Aiden Lee's not beating them. He himself is not that guy. Does have a win over Ludovic Klein, who's in the UFC, but all the same. N nothing, nothing super impressive there. It's when he signs with Bellator. He wins his first two fights. You see this kid's only like 24 years old at the time and he's long 75 inch reach it's actually represents a five inch reach advantage over his opponent henry corrales and he uses every bit of it nice long jab nice clean straight right hand and he does his best work on the ground where he's able to submit opponents i mean good jiu-jitsu good grappling in general uh the aaron pico fight you know listen, i know henry corrales beat aaron pico i get it for my money's worth, Pico is legit this guy's one of the best guys it's just he's really young they gave him tough competition and they just threw him to the wolves really early. Dude got paid 50 grand his first MMA fight. $50,000, right? Guys in the UFC have to win in the contender series and have 10 fights to get paid $10,000 in a UFC debut. So Pico made big money and they had big expectations. Those big expectations just, you know, too much too soon. But Aiden Lee fought a much better version of Pico than Henry Corrales did. And even though Aiden Lee loses, uh, he, he showed me something. Like this guy's a work in progress, but now only he was 25, I think, in that fight. It's like he's definitely getting better every time out. I think he's one of Darren Till's guys, so take that for what it's worth. But I actually don't mind this kid. And then his last time out against Alexander Ostarov, he comes in as a plus 140 underdog. And uh, I talked to a bunch of guys that are like Aiden Lee, dog of the week. Aiden Lee, dog of the week. You watch this kid. He's going to look sharp. He's going to look on point. It, they did not lie. He looked sharp. He looked on point. He beat him with the striking. He took him down. He took his back. He caught him in a rear naked choke. This fight with Henry Corrales, again, the way I see it going down is Henry likes to get in the pocket. He likes to scrap. He likes to come forward. But he's slowing down. Aiden Lee's the quicker guy. He's more mobile. He'll stay to the outside. And yeah, he's got a five-inch reach advantage. So I think in many ways, Henry's going to be swinging, but he's going to be coming up a tad bit short. Aiden Lee should be able to just you know intercept him coming in and then get him to the ground. That, that I think, would be a big key is that Henry Corrales does his best work standing. So let's take him out of his element, put him on his back, get it, land a little bit of ground and pound, get him to give up his back. And then, yeah, once you get on top of him, you can put in, you know, hopefully body triangle so he's not going anywhere. But at the very least, just pound this guy, rough him up, tire him out, look for the rear naked choke. He's given up before. You could see him giving it up again. It's a close fight. And again, when you had close fight, but Henry Corrales is a two to one favorite. It's just a no brainer to go with the underdog. Now that underdog is the favorite. Does that, does that make you pull back a little bit like it does 
but I 100% understand the line movement. I understand why the money's coming down in Italy. I agree. If I could have done this show on a Monday or a Tuesday, then yeah, yeah, we got dog pick of the week again, Aiden Lee. Unfortunately, you want to get as much information as you can. You don't want to just see the topology event page and be like, I like these guys. It's like you really want to do the tape study. And you can figure out you like Aiden Lee, but by the time you figure out the deal on Fabricio Franco or Ben Lugo and you know Nikita Mikhailov, uh, yeah, now, now you've just wasted your time. The line is quite literally moved by the time you finish tape studying the entire card. So the way the show, Paul and I, we do it on the Wednesday. I tweet out my picks on the day of the event. I don't care about the line movement. I give you the lines as of that very moment. Um, but of course, with Bellator in particular, you could get a guy at minus 200 and then come fight day, he's a minus 600. So you do kind of want to get on the line sooner rather than later. Aiden Lee's one we uh, we might have ever so slightly missed. Saba Hamasi versus Jaleel Willis. You've currently got Jaleel Willis is A. What you talk about Willis? Minus 230 favorite over Saba Hamasi plus 190. This one was fun to read tape study. And yeah, I mean, part of me thought maybe some Saba Hamasi is going to be live here. Uh He's somewhat done a pretty good job of impressing me. Like, he got released from the UFC. I didn't think he was much. Former male stripper. Does train on American Top Team, but he's getting a little bit older. And it just the guy's a banger. Likes to get in the pocket and likes to chuck big bombs. Unfortunately, he doesn't fight the smartest of game plans. And it, it results in his release from the promotion. Like, why would you stand in front of uh, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan chucking bombs? Not once, but twice. First time he clipped him. Second time he didn't. Both times he lost. So, well, I mean, one was... Yeah, yeah, both times he lost. That was the first one. It was a no contest, but knocked out both times. It's signing with Bellator, man. He makes his, well, he beats Mike Terrell in his, in his Bellator debut, and then he fought Curtis Milliner as a plus 310 underdog in his second Bellator fight. Big underdog. Goes out there, and Milliner's a good striker. Absolutely cannot wrestle. Saba Hamasi is an okay striker, more of a banger, like not really a refined guy, but not really a wrestler. Then you see American Top Team has given this man legitimate skills. A wrestling base seems to be one of them. He went in there. He took out Curtis Millinder at will. First two rounds, rinse and repeat, easy. Third round, Saba gas. Gassed hard. Still just got the takedown. No big deal. Knocks out Bobby Volker in 20 seconds of flying knee. Crazy. You know, Volker is a former um, UFC veteran himself, strike force veteran guy that's been around. A little bit older, a little bit longer in the tooth. But still a good quality victory. And then this Paul Daly fight, man, like fight of the year, or certainly round of the year. But first round, Sabah Masi absolutely beat the shit out of Paul Daly. I did not see it coming. I had a hefty amount on Paul Daly. Saba can do it, man. The guy comes forward. He's got big power. He presses you back. And, I mean, he clips Paul. Paul's getting a little bit older. Maybe he's getting a little more fragile. But he's got him on skates for the entirety of the first round, and Paul Daly survives. Actually, he survives in the last 30 seconds. You can see Saba tired himself out. Now, the second round, Saba tired himself out. Paul Daly works his way back into it and knocks him out. His next fight against Andre Korshkov, he starts out awesome. First three, four minutes of the fight, I thought Saba Hamas was actually winning. Pressing up Andre Korshkov into the cage. That's good, man. This guy's strong in the clinch. Land some decent strikes. Low calf kick for days. He's just butchering that low calf kick on Korshkov. And again, this is an American top team type game plan. They got they gave him the wrestling. They gave him the leg kicks. They've given him all these skills. The one thing they just couldn't give him the motherfucking cardio. My God, Savage's gases. And so Minute left in the Korshkov first round. He gets hit with a flying knee and a flurry, uh, probably enough to swing the round for Korshkov, although very, very close competitive first round. And then the second round, he's tired. Korshkov beats him up. Third round, he's tired. Korshkov's beating him. Uh, Saba Hamasi ends the last 30 seconds of the fight on top, you know, is able to hit a reversal and end up on top. But 
just not enough. And gas tanks definitely is problem. So this fight with Jalil Willis, the reason why it's almost tempting to go Saba Hamasi is Jalil Willis' striking is not all that good. Like stands to the outside. He doesn't kick much. He's got a decent jab and a good straight right hand, but he's tentative at times. He doesn't let his hands go. Beyond that, he doesn't move forward a lot. He'll, he'll actually spend a lot of his time on his back foot. So Saba's going to come out. He'll press this guy backwards. He's got that chopping overhand uh, right hand over the top that'll do some damage. That low calf kick, that'll do a lot of damage because Jalil Willis is susceptible to that for sure. Chop away at him. Press him up against the cage. Willis has more of a wrestling background. He's also got a bit of a judo background coming out of uh, Memphis judo. Same camp as Rampage Jackson once upon a time. <laughs> Not saying Rampage Jackson had any fucking judo to his game, but Jalil Willis can grapple. So I don't know for sure Saba Hamas is going to take him down, but I think the game plan of just pushing him back, getting him to the cage, you know, throwing heat at him, and then trying to mix in the takedowns is all going to be super effective. But then, of course, you tape study and you tape study some more. And, like, Willis doesn't have a, a cardio problem. Like, that's going to be the key difference. His fight with Mark Leminger, he gets – well, he ends up on the ground in the second round and gives up his back. And Mark Leminger body triangles him. And he loses the second. So now it's 1-1 going to the third, a situation Saba hamasi has been in before and doesn't prevail. Jalil Willis, you know, turns the steam up and uh, gets the victory. His fight with uh, Macon Mendonca. He's actually backing up a lot and getting his lead leg kicked out a lot. But again, you see he's got a speed advantage. You see his punches are a lot more linear. He's uh, eventually figures out how to intercept Mendonca coming forward, so he lands a couple good right hands. And the wrestling's there when he needs it. But beyond that, he fights a full three rounds. Uh, Mukhmed Barkmanov. <laughs> this one was never going to go good for him. But he didn't drop him. If you watch it, it looks like he drops it actually misses, but I think he just kind of threw Berkman off off balance. Uh, Berkman off hits the ground. Jalil Willis gets right on top. Does some okay work until, of course, uh, his Russian counterpart gets back up, turns the tides on him, locks on. It's like a sneaky little guillotine choke, and Willis taps. So Willis don't look all that good. Uh, for a minus 225 guy, minus 230 guy, I, I, I don't think I'd have a whole lot of faith in him. Like I do think Sabo Hamasi is live in a certain spot. But, of course, cardio is king, man, and I think Sabo will come out in the first round and be good. The second round is going to be a toss-up if it's 1-1 going into the third this is willis's fight he's just got to make sure he don't go down 0-2 heading into the third and for saba you can add the light kicks you can add the wrestling you can add some decent striking you can add you know that veteran experience cardio has always been an issue for him because of course as a male stripper you're only dancing for what three four minutes maybe five at the absolute most so when you see saba hamasi fighting very much got stripper cardio worrying on about three to four minutes shakes his thing and then hopefully gets it's paid because it's all downhill after that. So I think I'm going to ever so slightly go with Willis. Of course, when we construct, if we're going parlays, I'm a parlay guy. Who is the potential apple pie shitter? Willis is an apple pie shitter. I can see Mamadov potentially shitting the apple pie. If you're going Valdin Madovsky, I would say potential apple pie shit. So all that just uh, worth keeping in mind. In case you live underneath a rock or something, you should know that the NFL playoffs are here and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is kicking things off with a huge offer counting down to Super Bowl 56. And new customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any championship weekend team to win their game. Just bet $5 to win 280 in free bets if your team is victorious. That's right. Just bet $5 on any NFL playoff game and DraftKings Sportsbook will give new customers an additional $280 in free bets if the team they choose wins their game. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you still have something to play for this championship weekend. 
everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DOP and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 to win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code DOP at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Moving on to the prelims, we got Darian Caldwell versus Enrique Barzola. This one's sitting pretty close, I believe. Barzola is a minus 130 favorite. Come back on Darian Caldwell, plus 110. Cardio is actually the name of the game in this one as well. Caldwell's got all the skills in the world. He's a former uh, Division I national champion. Not an All-American, a national champion. The wrestling on point, you know, makes a bid for the Olympic team. Unfortunately, injuries just kind of got in the way, and he switches to MMA. Guy looks like he's going to be a beast in MMA. And then the last couple of years, I mean, it's just kind of fallen off for him. The first fight with Kyuji Horiguchi is a minus 225 favorite. He got choked out in Japan. They book a rematch in Bellator. He's a minus 170 favorite. Just got tired and got choked out by Kyuji Horiguchi. You rebook an immediate rematch. He's still a minus 170 favorite. Doesn't make sense. But you see his cardio rear its ugly head again. The AJ McKee fight, you know, it wasn't a cardio problem. Just got caught in a modified neck crank. It's that Leandro Higo fight. It's his last fight, right? His last fight against Higo. Keep in mind, he'd already fought Higo. He choked him out in the first round. It was a walk in the park. This is supposed to be pretty similar. He's a minus 335 favorite over Leandro Higo in the rematch. First round, like a hot knife through butter. Easy money takedown. Gets on top of him and smashes his face with a series of elbows. Splits uh, Higo up right open. Referee has a look at the cut between the first and second round. They're looking at it, man. They're, they're seriously thinking, geez, that's a bad cut. But they allow the fight to continue. All the momentum in the world's in Caldwell's corner. Just get another takedown. Just, just, just rinse and repeat. You smashed him with the ground and pound. This guy had nowhere to go. Second round, Caldwell comes out. He's already slowing down. He's already tired now. Does get the takedown. Just doesn't do anything with the takedown. Literally lies on top of him and gets his face smashed up from the bottom. Submission attempts from the bottom. Caldwell does nothing. So, of course, all three judges score the second round for Leandro Higo, despite the fact he was on his back. Now it's the third round, dude. It's gut check. It's like time to go. Where's the world-class wrestling there? It's disappeared. It's not there anymore. He got deep in on a single leg. Beautiful bite on this deep single leg. And just no drive. No drive. He go just grabs onto a guillotine choke and he just abandons the single leg. Just gassed out. Flat out gassed out. Now he's 34 years old. He uh, was originally training in Arizona, by the way. But uh, he moved down to Sanford MMA. He's with Henry Hoof now. He's he's going hard. By all by all accounts guys in the gym every day he's grinding hard his striking looks good his wrestling's always been world class but his grappling's coming along his grappling's coming along to me as though he's an apple pie shitter he's two and four in his last six fights he generally loses as a big favorite he's got suspect ass cardio i'd love to believe that he's shored up all that stuff in the gym i really would i just don't know that i can have the trust for it i don't know that i can firmly believe in my heart of hearts yeah all that stuff's been fixed because I've been led to believe that in some prior fights. Maybe not necessarily the case. Enrique Barzola, meanwhile, he wins tough Latin America, comes into the UFC, seemed like everybody's darling, four-fight winning streak. And then, yeah, he just fell off the map. Fell off the map. UFC ends up releasing him after Dragani Yaya. And it's like I couldn't tell you what went wrong with this guy's game. I mean, coming off tough Latin America, he's a Peruvian fighter. It's like, where, where is his skills? Wrestling? Probably not. Striking? Probably not. He's got a huge heart, and he's really, really physically strong. So he initially went to American Top Team. They give him the skills, man. They teach this guy how to wrestle, and then that becomes his game plan. They had something stupid like 
he lands 42 takedowns in his UFC in his 10 UFC fights. He landed 42 takedowns. It's something like the third highest amount of takedowns for a fighter in the division. The guys that he's competing against was like Chad Mendes and Frankie Yeager, both guys that are and Darren Elkins, like all guys that that wrestled uh, in college at a good level. Barzola is just, he's raw, he's late to the party, but he's adding some definite skills. And then, I don't know, he hit a roadblock. You fight Kevin Aguilar, he fought the world's worst game plan. Didn't shoot any takedowns. Just stood in front of him, you know, got his face punched off. Terrible game plan. He gets Bobby Moffitt, terrible game plan. Took Bobby Moffitt down, but he also got taken down himself. He got outstruck. He looked lethargic. His striking defense is awful. And even his offense, like he tries to overwhelm you, but nothing's snappy, nothing's crisp. It's all just brute force. He's lucky to squeak by a split decision and win over Bobby Moff, which is not a good fight. And then Movzar Evloev. Dude is currently one of the top 45ers in the division. He's one of the top 45ers in the world. Barzola takes the fight. First round, Evloev wins. Second round, Barzola wins. Third round's close, man. If you go to MMA decisions, there's like, I don't know, six or seven outlets that actually scored the fight for Barzola. It, like, it could have been a win for him. It was a close fight. It was a competitive fight against a guy that's a bona fide stud. So, yes, this guy can operate. Yeah, this guy can hang. And then he drops down to 135 pounds. He's having success at 145. He seems kind of big, to be honest with you. 35, really? I just uh, didn't really see this one happening. So, he makes 135. He fights Ronnie Yaya. He uh, fights the world's worst game plan in the first round and loses. He fights the world's second worst game plan in the second round and loses. In the third round, Yaya gasses out. Barzola puts it on him. 10-8 round. That's why it's a draw, right? He lost the first two rounds. He got a 10-8 in the third. Rules it a draw. So what's there like? What's there to not like? Well, you like that he's strong. You like that he's tenacious at times, but his striking is no good. Uh, his ring IQ is absolutely abysmal. At 135, don't seem like the weight class for him. And then beyond all that, he's now taken two years off from the sport, released from the UFC, sits on the shelf for two years, Leaves American Top Team, goes to AKA in San Jose, and also, because it's been two years, he's been training in Peru for a big chunk of that as well. You're coming back to the sport, and he wants 135 again. So, yeah, he's got a cardio advantage over Darren Caldwell. The later the fight goes, Barzola's going to work his way into it. First round, probably Caldwell. Caldwell probably takes him down the first. He probably has some success, but Barzola's going to make him work. He's going to make him work that entire first round. The second round will be close. It'll be competitive. It should start to swing in Barzola's favor in that second round. But again, the natural athleticism, the skill, all of that goes towards Caldwell. It's the heart and the cardio that should allow Barzola does work his way back into it. And then, and then the third round should actually be all Barzola. Not enough for a stoppage. Guy's not a knockout guy. He's not a submission guy. So it's key for him not to go down two rounds heading into this third. This is a live fight, to be honest with you. I wish I had a good, strong lean. I want to take Darian Caldwell just because, again, I'm one of these skills should win at the end of the day. But just look how these UFC fights have been going. You take the more skillful guy, and the other guy just wants it more, has more heart, has deeper gas tank. All those things become effective weapons. And those are all things that Barzola should be able to bring to him. But 135, I don't love for him. Two years off, I don't love for him. Switching from American Top Team, going back to Peru, then going to American Kickboxing Academy, where the gym doesn't have the same stars that it once had in it. I don't know. It's all just red flag question marks. And for Caldwell, quite literally, his last six fights have been red flag question marks. Fuck, man, the guy is skillful. He's out of Sanford MMA. I know they're investing in him. I just can't quite buy it. So... I feel like I'm going to go Enrique Barzola, but it's another live underdog situation here. Sada Wad versus Chris Gonzalez. 
Chris Gonzalez is a sizable favorite. Meh, minus 260. Come back on Sadawad is plus 220. Sadawad, this will be his 24th Bellator fight, I believe. I think I think he surpassed Dave Rickles as like the most all-time fight for the organization. So yeah, yeah, the dude's serviceable. The dude's a gatekeeper for them now. And I think there's a respect factor there that they enjoy keeping him around. But they've tried to move him up the upper echelon and it just does not work. Like his wins, Ryan Quinn. Zach Freeman, JJ Ambrose, Ryan Couture, nobody notable. Good guy, especially Ryan Quinn, really good guy. But yeah, not not in the fight world, just not notable. They move him up. The Benson Anderson fight drops a decision. This Brandon Gertz fight, very frustrating because, uh, yeah, I mean, they were just swinging bombs. Sawdawad was sticking in his face and chucking bombs, but Gertz just took everything and backed him up and stung him, rocked him, wobbled him multiple times. And then when the fight would hit the ground, you did see key wrestling advantage where Brandon Gertz gets the job done. The Goiti-Yamauchi fight, the second it hit the ground, he subsawed And then the Paul Daly fight, second round, just clipped, knocked out. That's a four-fight losing streak. They still book him against Mandel Nalo. It's a low blow, no contest. And then his fight with Nate Andrews his last time out. He is a plus 260 underdog. He's supposed to lose. He's unofficially a four-fight losing streak. He's winless over his last five. He hadn't won in four years. Everything he hit Nate Andrews with, Nate Andrews fell over. It was Probably one of the biggest bum performances of Nate Andrews' career. His chin's all the way shot at this point. It was like a please retire moment. Sadawad got the win and went back in the win column. So you're going to use him again. And I think this is a good spot to use him in. Because Chris Gonzalez needs a win, but he also needs to get tested a little bit. Um, he's at a team alpha male. He's a former Greco-Roman wrestler. Uh, wrestled in college, but also like wrestled. Kind of tried out for the world's team. Like tried, tried to go down that I just want to wrestle route. Unfortunately, there's just no money there. Makes his amateur debut. Good amateur turns pro again. He's uh, not the wrestling coach at Team Alpha, but he's getting very solid work in. Beltro scoops him up. He beats Aaron McKenzie on a split decision. Aaron McKenzie has uh, won three fights in a row since then. He's going to challenge for the LFA lightweight title. He's actually a pretty good fighter. Split decision, but he gets a job done. Vladimir Tokov, undefeated 5-0 Russian. It's another split decision. It's not pretty. He has a job done. Roger Huerta, I, I really did not like that booking because I'm a massive Roger Huerta fan. And this is just not a winnable fight for him. Didn't like it. He beat the shit out of Roger Huertas. But now I'm believing in him. You know, shit, the guy's got the wrestling. He's undefeated. He's 30 years old. He's a little bit old, I guess, to be considered a prospect. But he's got all the skills. The striking is a work in progress, but it's coming. Classic alpha male, big overhand right. Get into that takedown. And, yeah, they got faith in the guy. He seems to be in wicked good shape coming out. I, I like him. Takes on Goiti Yamauchi. Slide underdog. I think he's a live underdog. Yeah, he looked really bad. Like, Goiti's known for his grappling game, and yet Goiti just backed this guy up and landed strikes at will. The body kick kept zapping him. The right hand got his attention, dropped him initially. Now he's on skates. Now he's discombobulated. Now he just never got his game going. He was hesitant to shoot the takedown on Goiti because, of course, Yamauchi's just so crafty on the ground. He was probably going to get caught in a submission. So he opted to stand in front of him. Of course, you just got rocked. You're getting outstruck. There was no ability to switch to a plan B. He didn't have a plan B. But even if he had, there was no ability to switch to it. And Goethe just absolutely rocks him. Rocks him with a combination, drops him on the ground, gets on top of him, pounds him out. He beat the shit out of Chris Gonzalez, pillar to pose. Not a good performance. So now you got this fight. This fight is a little bit worrisome for Gonzalez in that Saad comes to swing, right? Loses fights all the time. Doesn't care. Wins fights, loses fights. But he wins because he swings. He loses, but he's going to go down swinging. He's going to pose a problem for Gonzalez in that he'll get in his face and make it a fight. Gonzalez maybe is a little bit chinny, and I don't think he likes these hard paces where he's got to back up. Goiti came at him. That's not something he's used to. He's used to staying on the outside, setting up his right hand, setting 
setting up his big blast double, getting his wrestling going, taking his time. He had no time to think here. And against Sada Wad, Sada's probably going to bring the fight to him. The difference is the there was no plan B against Goiti Amount because you didn't want to take him down. Against Sada Wad, take him fucking down, right? If he gets bold and aggressive and he comes at you, you got to drop levels. You got to take him down. Putting him on his back is going to be the key. Gonzalez, I don't think he has a cardio issue. It does slow down the later fights go, but he exerts a lot of energy. It's with Saad. You don't want to be getting tired in there and botching a takedown attempt because he is going to be swinging on you. But at some point, if he clips Saad, great. I think durability advantage, maybe for Gonzalez. The wrestling advantage, definitely for Gonzalez. The experience of Saad's, the striking advantages for Saad. There are advantages there for Saad Awad. What am I going to do? Just fade every single favorite on this card? Like, you go into UFCs, you like this favorite, you like this favorite. As far as this card's looking, I don't really love any of these favorites. Chris Gonzalez, I feel like I'm going to have to pull the trigger on him. And yeah, I just, I really hope he's able to bounce back. First career loss, not a bad thing. You need a loss, go back to the drawing board, where'd you go wrong? In this case, he would have gone back to the drawing board and said, geez, you know what, my striking, just not that good. Work on it, work on it. When you check anything from him in the gym, you know, he gets a lot of rounds in with, Danny Castillo's a coach now, but he's getting a lot of rounds in with Andre Feely. Of course, Ryan Faber's overseeing everything. He's got good bodies to work with. They are high up on this guy. He just kind of needs to get it going a little bit and uh, put up a big fight over Sadawa. But to bounce back, to come off a loss, a first-round knockout loss, and then they give you a 23-time Bellator veteran, guy that packs some... It's not a gimme. It's not a walkover. It's not a, hey, kid, let's get your confidence go back up. They're looking to test him. I just think that he's going to pass this test, hopefully. Dalton Rosa versus Dwayne Johnson. Dalton Rosa was initially supposed to take on Romero Cotton. That would have been a sick fight and one that really tests Dalton Rosa. Dwayne Johnson, I'm not saying it's not going to test him. It's just that Dalton Rosa is now an 8-1 to one favorite. So the odds maker has got no respect for the most electrifying man in Bellator sports history, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. But yeah, starting with Rosa, I, I like this guy. I really do. And he's another one of these. Bellator went on this signing spree. They just went after collegiate wrestlers. Collegiate wrestlers, collegiate wrestlers. Put them in good camps. These guys are going to develop. And uh, Rosta looks the part, man. He's built like an absolute Adonis. The guy is just shredded, has the wrestling base, and he's you know he's putting all the skills together. He's working on his striking. When you have that much power, you don't get the knockouts right away because maybe it's not that big snappy punching, but he's turning his hips more. He's getting more comfortable in himself. He starts off his amateur career. The guy's a beast, right? He goes 7-0 as an amateur, and his last amateur win was a win over Cody Brunridge, right? Cody Brunridge wrestled collegiately. He was on Dana White's Contender Series. Recently just fought in the UFC. That's an amateur loss or amateur win. He knocks him out. So 7-0 as an amateur. He turns pro. Belcher scoops him up right away. Beats Cody Vidal. Beats Claude Wilcox. Beats Mark Garner. Ty Gwerder. This is at least a little bit of a step up. And yeah, beats Ty Gwerder. And then his last time against Tony Johnson. Tony Johnson won the striking coaches at American Top Team. Oh, sorry, not American Top Team, American Kickboxing Academy, a.k.a. Uh, guy's, guy's got a knockout win over Joe Schilling. He's also a former pro boxer. Yeah, Tony Johnson's a decent enough fighter, but this is a res- this is wrestling out of Rosta. Rosta does an excellent job of just taking him out of his game plan completely. I like what the kid brings to the table. I really do. I've liked him his entire Bellator run. Of course, he's always a massive favorite, and that's why I think the Romero-Cotton fight would have been cool because it's like, where's this kid actually at? Dwayne Johnson, meanwhile, he is... 33 years old, and he just hadn't had really that notable of a career. Um, turns pro in 2016. He's a little bit of a late starter. He fought an LFA, lost his LFA debut against Austin Jones on a split decision. It wasn't a very good fight. Loses his next fight against Ramir Wilson. The guy's 0-1, right? And this is in 2018, so not a good look. So then he gets Raymond Gray, who's 3-7. and He knocks him out in 30 seconds. 
Beltra brings him in to take on Devin Fisher, who's four and eight, chokes him out in the first round. Well, shit, dude. You you, know, you lost to a you lost to a five and four guy. You lost to an zero and one guy. You rebound beating three, seven, and four and eight. His other career wins are zero and two, seven and twenty one, and his second career fight the guy was two and zero. First career fight the guy was three. He's fought a lot of soft ass competition, and you know what? There's something you can like about his game. Physically, he's in shape. He's a little bit slower. He does have some grappling. Uh, he's one of these guys that's he's a mature adult male. Like he'll be able to pose some resistance. I just don't know where would he beat Rosta. He's not going to take Rosta down. I don't think Rosta has a cardio issue. I don't think that Dwayne Johnson's got any type of huge power that's going to clip him with something. You know, puncher's chance type of outcome. I just think Rosta's got this guy outgunned everywhere. If he wants to keep the fight standing, he'll back him up, probably edge him out. If he wants to take the fight to the ground, he'll do so. Spend time up on top. So listen, it's eight to one Dalton Rosta. We've seen eight to one favorites lose in Bellator before. We've seen eight to one favorites lose in every organization. But uh, Dalton seems to be a legitimate prospect, and Dwayne Johnson is coming in on short notice just to fill in a void. Uh, props to him, you know. And I, I liked his Bellator debut. Guy, the guy's fucking name is Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Come on, come on, it's good times. Um, unfortunately, those are where the good times end. Is his name? Uh, I just this is going to be a tough task against Rosta. So. Rosa's the top ticket guy. <laughs> He's minus 800. What can you do with that? Of course, we'll have to parlay a couple other guys in there and get ourselves a decent price. Uh, Nikita Mikulov versus Blaine Shutt. I believe this is exactly the same. It should be a Nikita of 8 to 1, 850. A little bit of money coming in him. I agree with it. I agree with it again. Uh, I guess we'll start off with the underdog. What's his path to victory? With Blaine Shot, he's eight and five. His and he actually does come from a wrestling background. He wrestled at the University of Pittsburgh Jonestown. Uh, not that good of a wrestler, man. His losses effectively are every time is him getting taken down. This Craig Fisher fight, taken down, gives up his back, got caught in a rear naked choke. Sean Santella, a friend of mine, takes him down. CFFC gives him a world flashing. And, you know, Santella's a BJJ black belt. And then his belt trade debut against Eric Perez, much of the same. Like, uh, his plus 380 underdog against former UFC member Eric Perez. And he gets backed up. His striking doesn't look great. He didn't look totally out of place. It didn't look like this guy's just like an absolute roll over and die bomb. Like he's not a can. It's that there are levels to this, and he just doesn't appear to be at that upper echelon level. Nikita Mikolov, meanwhile, um, he's a stud, man. 23 years old. He's got three teammates on the card, uh, including the, uh, the Moldovsky in the main event. Like they're all kind of under Fedor Emelianenko, but shit, I like what I see out of this guy. I had tape studied him prior to his Bellator debut, and um, uh, just like a wrestling machine. Like, he'll just go out there, gets a hold of you, physically strong, wants to pull you to the ground. He's very young, he's very green, but you can see there's most definitely something out of there. He beats Mukmanan Imanov at Fight Night's Global 92. It's a majority decision win, but uh, his opponent's 13-0. and 0. So, I mean, it, he's taking on a dope ass solid russian fighter and i thought he looked good in it now he debuts in the uf in bellator they give him brian moore now brian moore at sbg ireland so you know right off the hop he cannot wrestle but brian moore is savvy man brian moore is tough he's got good striking he's got decent cardio he fights for it 14 and 7 good experience has fought in a solid level of competition and he's got his confidence going when i seen the line drop as a minus 310 favorite for uh for mikhailov i thought Maybe they're disrespecting uh, Moore a little bit, but they obviously got a lot of fight, a lot of faith in Mikulov. So I look back and you see the tape, and he's going to get the takedown. And once he's on top, he's a smothering guy. Can he get clipped? Striking don't look too bad either. Cardio looks good. Pace looks good. Still young. 
All right, I'll throw the dice on him. I was impressed, man. I was impressed. It wasn't like it was a walk in the park win, but Moore's a tough guy, posed some resistance, and it just didn't matter. Mikolev got him to the ground when he wanted to. He dominated on the ground when he needed to. And even in the stand-up exchanges, he's not a fish out of water. He's not lost in the slightest bit. These combat Sambo guys are super well-rounded because that's what combat Sambo is. It's a fight. It's an MMA fight. You can submit a guy, you can take a guy down, you can knock him out. It's a great base to have. Does it make you an elite striker? No. Does it make you an elite wrestler? No. But when you're extremely well-rounded, you can just fight to your opponent's deficiency. And against Blaine Shutt, the deficiency was, is, the guy can wrestle, but his takedown defense is not that good. And when he's on his back, I'm just not seeing enough scrambles out of him. Beyond that, he gives up his back. He's open for a rear naked choke. Mikulov, not really a finisher. So I probably see him just going through the motions and grounding Blaine Shutt down for the three rounds of picking up a decision. If I want to improve, of course I want to improve. A minus 850 price tag. I think I'd go with the Mikulov by decision prop. But this is what Bellator does. You got an eight to one favorite in Dalton Rosa and a minus eight fifty in Nika Milikov. I would like to put them both on the same ticket. Uh, the way I would traditionally do it was you could put both of them on with a Valentin Moldovsky and then just take your hedge on Ryan Bader in the main event. I'm not going to do that for this card. So it's like, who's my next most confident guy? I would love to say Chris Gonzalez. I would like to say Chris Gonzalez with Milikov and Dalton Rosa is my top line. Before I go ahead and lock that in on my betting sites and then tweet it out, I just. Chris Gonzalez doesn't really scream top ticket. Second ticket, I put him on the second line. Rather have a top, better top guy. But of course, two eight to one favorites ain't the top ticket. I need to add something. Lucas Brennan, Ben Lugo. Ho, ho, ho. Can't add Lucas Brennan because he's an 11 to one favorite. Taking on Ben Lugo. Yeah, this should just be, it should be walk in the park, Lucas Brennan. I do get the sense that he'll get exposed at some point. Just, yeah, not likely here. Uh, his father's Chris Brennan, the Southside Strangler. Guy fought in the WEC, fought in the UFC, fought everywhere that was notable. He fought in Japan for pride. Like, his dad was a gangster. I think he's only got one career knockout win. But it might have been over like, Antonio McKeera. Maybe Antonio McKeera knocked him out. Doesn't matter. Chris Brennan's a beast. I remember Joe Stevenson, apparently. Dana White got in a fight with Chris Brennan, like UFC 58, 59, because... Uh, there was, he was supposed to fight Joe Stevenson. Joe didn't want the fight. Chris said some shit. There was like a big public flare out. His dad was an actual gangster, right? Badass, submission guy. And so he's put that all into his son. And his son, Lucas, is supposed to be a future, right? He's 21 years old. Beltor signed him. He was like 19. His boxing coach is actually a friend of mine, Rafael Casillas, who's uh, an excellent boxing coach over in Texas, one of Johnny Bedford's. They have had a falling out, but he was one of Johnny Bedford's boxing coaches for a long time. And of course, Johnny Bedford won a bare knuckle boxing world championship. So getting back to our kid, Lucas Brennan. Yeah. Bellator has done a really soft job of matching him up. Debut against Thomas Lopez, one and four. Smokes through him, first round submission, right? Jacob Landon, 0 oh and two. Smokes through him, first round submission. This Will Smith, a lot of famous names in Bellator rosters, eh? He's a minus 600 favorite. He TKO'd him in the second. Andrew Salas, minus 675 favorite. Decision. Matthew Skibicki, minus 1100 favorite. And then, of course, against Ben Lugo, I'm seeing minus 1,100. I'm seeing as high as minus 1,500. So at what point does Bellator decide, let's test him? But I don't really care. He's 21 years old. What, what has he got tested right now for anyways? I think keep doing what you're doing. Get his confidence up. Get him more experience. And like this Andrew Salas fight, he didn't look great. He did, it's the first time he never got a finish. He had to settle to go the three rounds. There was moments where it was like, ah, eh, this kid's not that good. It's all good learning experience. He needs rounds. He doesn't need finish guys early. He needs to go and fight 15 minutes, test his cardio, test his metal, end up in a bad position, get punched in the face. You know, things that encompass fighting an MMA fight. 
he needs that kind of experience more than he needs smoking guys out of there in the first round, first two rounds of the submission victory. But when your father is known as the South Side Strangler, chances are you're pretty good at choking people unconscious. And that's just what this kid does. He'll go to it early and often. He's got long arms. He loves snatching up the neck. I know Casillas is his boxing coach, and I'd love to say Casillas is just working that magic, but his boxing looks pretty simple to me, pretty rudimentary. I would just think he hasn't been boxing for a very long time. He's been doing jiu-jitsu since he's three years old. At some point, you've transitioned to MMA. Now you got to work those other skills, but your comfort zone is the grappling. That's where he'll probably look to spend the majority of his time. Ben Lugo, meanwhile, is he getting overlooked? Yeah, yeah. Like, that's a big, he's a big underdog here. But again, Bellator has a, a tendency of doing this for Lucas Brennan fights, and this is probably much of the same. Uh, for Ben Lugo, first career loss, Josh Hubber. He gets choked out 33 seconds into round three. Gerald Scott, his next opponent's 0-0. He got knocked out in the first round. Rex Little, 0-0. His next opponent, he got knocked out in 43 seconds. So he beats a 1-0 guy. He beats an 0-1 guy. He beats an 0-3 guy. He beats an 0-2 guy. He drops a majority decision in LFA against Nathan Levy. Uh, we just saw Nathan Levy on the Contender Series. He's an Israeli prospect. Not that good. Not that good. But all the same, you know, it was a somewhat competitive fight. You see that there's something there for Ben Lugo. I just don't know that he's super durable. And Nathan Levy's like a karate champion at a syndicate MMA. Like his grappling ain't where it needs to be. And I think that's going to be the key difference here is that Lucas Brennan should be able to go get a hold of him, take him down. Once once he takes him down, his grappling will take over. As far as the striking goes, uh, Lugo's going to be in it. Like it's not like Lucas Brennan's a very good striker by any stretch, but I think good enough to keep it competitive and keep it competitive long enough till it hits the ground. Then when it hits the ground, that should be his to take Ryan over. So you could like, normally you'd spam a guy like this and he's a top ticket. He's 11 to one, right? I'll, I'll let, I'll let the bookie do the tape study for me on that. And in this case, I like Lucas Brennan. I like him a lot. And if I put Lucas Brennan, Nikita Mikhailov and Dalton Rose on a top ticket, I'm not even coming anywhere near even money. It's still not a great bet. And that's three guys. I still got to add a fourth guy to get my top ticket to even money. So now you've got four guys on your top ticket. You're opening yourself up for Apple shit, right? Brennan doesn't add a whole lot. So I think I'd be more inclined to go Dalton Rosta, Nikita Mikhailov, take somebody else, third line go Lucas Brennan, just in case anything was to happen. I don't think he's going to lose. I really don't. I just don't want to put the three big favorites all in the same line and somebody else in case one of them does shit in the Apple pie. He's the play. He's definitely the play. Do I agree with the odds? No, but the way he's been winning, the way they've been booking him, and the way historically his odds are, yeah, this is just par for the course, really. Weber Almeida versus Fabricio Franco. Um, it's currently Weber Almeida minus 200, minus 195 about, and a Fabricio Franco plus 160. I'm going to spend a little more time tape studying this one. The pick's going to be Weber Almeida, even though, again, another apple pie shitter. He was supposed to take on Josh Wright in this fight in a probably would have been a little bit better but yeah with Weber Almeida just an apple pie shooter you know the guy's 34 years old he's got excellent striking he had spent a lot of time at X gym he moved over to American top team Sky looks to be the limit for him right he's very flashy and he's got the big power wins his Bellator debut three minutes and four seconds into the first round with a head kick ah oh, beautiful they book him against Castle Williams counter left hook 20 seconds into the first round huge knockout Salim uh, Mukdanov, who's actually pretty tough, right? Counter right, 357 in the first round, knocks him out. This guy looks like he's going to be a serious problem. He's got huge power. He's got obviously a very good camp. He's 34, a little bit older, but he's got all that life experience. He's got a, a legitimate skill set that he's built up. So they book him against Johnny Soto, and 
He's a minus 550 favorite over Johnny Soto, who has a 3-1 record. And like, ah, Almeida's very limited, man. His ground game's not very good. His pressure's not very good. Once he gasses out three minutes into the first round, he gets pushed back. Once he starts to get pushed back, that's it. He's got huge power. It doesn't carry. Like He can knock you on the first three minutes, but he doesn't knock guys out in the second. He doesn't knock guys out in the third. Really needs to get that game going early and often. And again, at 34, I just don't really know how much his game's going to improve, how much his game's going to advance. Oh, he just seems like a limited enough guy. Fabricio Franco, meanwhile, he's stepping in on short notice. He is at an MMA Masters, which worries me because it's a great camp. Obviously, he's going to be ready, but they can't find these fights. But he starts off his career one and three, right? He got choked out by Nestor Machado. He loses to Marcelo Gardoso. He loses to Pedro Henrique Finger. He fights guys that are 0 and 0, 0 and 0, 0 and 6. And then and then he picks up a nine and three win. He beats this Macon Costa five and one. And then uh, Kambache Global brings him in against Miguel Vargas, a South American prospect. He looked like shit. Right? He lost to Miguel. Got outstruck, but but he went 15 minutes. He went the distance at least, and his fight with Macon Costi knocks him out in the third round. His fight with Adrian Cardoso, ah, the guy's 0 six. Who cares that you went to decision? Not that impressive. I guess my worry here is that I know this guy can likely fight a few rounds, and he's not totally a fish out of water. He's out of a very good camp that produces a lot of high level guys that fight in the UFC, that fight in Bellator, that fight in every major uh, promotion. You know, I'm not saying he's working out with guys like Colby Covington. I just mean it is an elite level gym. They've got something for everybody. Weber, meanwhile, he's not American talk team. They got something for everybody. It's just like he's a little long in the tooth. And just like Valerie, he's male Valerie Laredo with a way worse ass, man. Straight up. That's what he is. Like he looks flashy. He looks good. And he's capable of knocking out a bum opponent out in three minutes. But the second that there's any resistance, the second that his opponent has a, a pulse, Eh, he don't look that good. If it was his original opponent, I'd be worried. It's a short notice replacement. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. It's the second fight on the card. If he loses, I could rebuild. I don't want to, but you could rebuild some spots. It's that 550 favorite. He blows a ticket, right? You've got Chris Gonzalez blows a pretty big ticket. Darren Caldwell has blown plenty of big tickets. Jaleel Willis has blown tickets. Henry Corrales blew a minus 900 ticket. Like, who's going to do it? Who's going to be the one to do it? Hopefully not Weber Almeida because I am ever slightly going to uh, lean with him. But again, the tape study on that one's not completely done in the water. And then Ben Parrish versus Sullivan Cully. What a fight this is going to be. Uh, 205 pounds. Currently got money's coming on Ben Parrish, which I agree with. But we've currently got Sullivan Cully as a minus 175 favorite. Comeback on Ben Parrish plus 150. Ben Parrish. <clears throat> talking about guys that like to get upset. He pulled off, numerically, one of the biggest upsets in 2021. He He's a plus 630 by this line. That makes Christian Edwards, what was he, minus 1,400? Nah, they're saying minus 1,000, but straight up, it was bigger than that. It was like minus 1,200 for Christian Edwards, and uh, Ben Parrish comes out. Big Tuna comes out, backs him up, puts a beating on him. Tennessee zone. Here was the tough part about this guy, right? When you look at his... The amateur career, he's ter- he makes his amateur debut in 2012. It's 10 years ago. It's a long time. He wins three fights. He lost to Rakeem Kinney by knockout, but then beat him three months later on split decision, right? Turns pro in 2016. So effectively, he fought amateur for four years. That's a long time. Turns pro in 2016, and then there's not enough substance there. He wins his debut, three and 14 opponent. Then he takes a year, well, not a year off. He comes back in 2017. He beats an 0-4 opponent. 
And then he took two straight up, took two years off, came back against a one and one opponent, beat Teddy Holder, who once upon a time was a World Series of Fighting standout. I don't know why they ever considered him a standout, but you know had had some wins within the promotion. They gave him some high profile fights. Um, so his four MMA fights at this point are, doesn't look like he's a great athlete. And then he took two years off again. I think that was the problem prior to taking on Christian Edwards. He had effectively fought uh, two times in the last four years. He's coming off a leg injury. He doesn't look to be in great shape. Uh, just, I don't know. They booked him against Christian Edwards the first time. Edwards not medically cleared. So they rebooked it a second time. Parrish pulls out. They rebooked it a third time. Christian Edwards is undefeated. He is John Jones's prodigy, one of the John Jones' chief training partners. He won a like a he won a contract from Bellator. It was like this series or whatever. They were going to award someone. And they went to Jackson Wink and they checked this guy out. They talked to John Jones. This guy's the next John Jones. Fights long, very efficient, can wrestle. Sky's the limit for Christian Edwards. That's why he's a 11-1 favorite over Ben Parrish, who has not fought in two years, who's coming off a leg injury, who's fought abysmal level of talent. Ben Parrish went right at him. He just walked him right down, stepped in the pocket, bombed him, left hook, knocks him out 38 seconds in. Ben Parrish looked awesome, but it was also, he bum-rushed him. So maybe Christian Edwards was a fraud. Maybe it was Puncher's Chance, MMA, anything can happen. Maybe Ben Parrish is the real deal. The concerning thing is, is that he's now had six pro fights, and he's never been past the second round. So he's a first-round guy. He's going to come. And when you see him physically, I don't know that I can bank on that he can fight for three rounds. Like He just doesn't look like he's got deep cardio. He's a scrapper. He's willing to fight. He's a tough guy. He's got power, and he's got a submission game. He's a dangerous opponent. But if this thing is going to stretch and go some later rounds, I do got a feeling he's going to slow down. Sullivan Colley, meanwhile, he wrestled at Arizona State University. He's a former Sun Devil. He's a training partner of Ryan Bader. It makes all the sense in the world that he's going to end up on this card in Arizona. And he generally ends up on these cards with Ryan Bader anyhow. The thing is, Ryan Bader's a two-time All-American, a three-time Pac-10 champion. He's a stud. Sullivan Colley, meanwhile, uh, he finished fourth at State in his high school. In high school, he finished fourth, third, and second, he was a runner-up in his senior year. Goes to Arizona State University. I think he went two and two. He wrestled like four matches. That was it. He's not an All-American. He never wrestled any notable tournaments. He really had any real degree of success. But he does have a wrestling pace. ASU is a D1 program and a good program. Came Velasquez wrestled there. CB Dalloway wrestled there. John Moraga wrestled there. Uh, Frankie Science did not wrestle there, but he was a Arizona guy. Uh, of course, Ryan Bader wrestled there. So yeah, it's a good program. Guy knows how to wrestle. It's just he didn't have the same success those guys had. And when he starts fighting an amateur, yeah, like he lost to Billy Alakana on a show that we actually co-promoted. But it's just a work in progress. Wrestling not great. Striking not great. Young, you know, still improving. It's that he's one of these guys that abandoned wrestling early to get into MMA. When you see him and Ryan Bader in the room, they're both 205ers, really. Bader's obviously fighting tonight. Not tonight, but he's fighting this weekend at heavyweight. But he's a natural 205er. It's like... Sullivan looks way smaller than him. His wrestling's not nearly as refined, and he's taking—he's wrestling a 38-year-old man. He just doesn't really look to be at that level. Bellator debut, 28 seconds. He, he beats a nobody, Jason Marklin. And his last fight with Dion Clash. Clash is actually shooting takedowns on him, which I thought was surprising. And it, it looked like his defense is all right. You know, he was defending a single leg takedown all right. He gets to the cage, he, you know, bides his time. And then with 
five seconds left. He clips Dion Clash. You'd think the ref is going to let the thing go, but Clash is hurt, man. He's hurt. There's a second left. It's actually still standing. It's a standing TKO with a second left. Sullivan's pumped up. That's good stuff for him. Now he's in the same position as Ben Parrish, right? He's had two pro fights. Neither of them have made it out of the first round. As an amateur, all of his wins, for the most part, were inside the distance. Both of his losses, fights that go the distance. So how does this one play out, right? The wrestling advantage is going to be for Sullivan, but we haven't seen enough from Ben Parrish to just know for sure that he can't wrestle. He's going to get taken down. If the fight does hit the ground, Parrish has got good submissions, but I don't think he's submitting him off his back. He'd have to get up on top. The worry here is that Sullivan, I've never seen him like square out punched in the face by a big boy. I've never seen him get backed up. I've never seen him have to face pressure and adversity and come back from those things. And Ben Parrish seems like he's got a YOLO attitude. He don't give a fuck. Right? Nobody expects him to be here. He's a he's a giant insurmountable underdog in his debut. Physically, he doesn't look great. People laughing at him. They call him the big tuna. Guess what? Big tuna's here to take care of business. He did then. Will he again here? I don't know. My gut would tell me you want the wrestler, right? Don't we always want the wrestler? You want the wrestler. You want the wrestler fighting in his own backyard in Arizona. You want the wrestler fighting in his own backyard in Arizona on the same card as his mentor, Ryan Bader. Like He's got the narrative going in his way, but it's a fist fight at the end of the day. And you're going to have Parrish is going to come bring the pain, throwing punches and bunches and trying to back him up. Sullivan Cully needs to dip under and get that takedown. I just don't know that his wrestling's actually all that good. So if you're looking for an underdog, this card's going to have a few of them. I think Ryan Bayer's a live underdog. I think Aiden Lee would have been a live underdog. He's the favorite now. I think Saba Hamas is a live underdog. I think the Caldwell-Barzola fight's pretty close, but, you know, Caldwell, the dog, could come through. I want to say Sadawa doesn't have a chance, but my gut keep telling me he does. The three big favorites should all roll. Fabrizio Franco, by way of him fighting a fraud in Weber Almeida, could win. And then, of course, yes, his very first fight, Ben Parrish. He's also he's already pulled a big upset. He's capable of doing it. And it's, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna fade him one more time. We'll see how it works out. See how it works out. But he's got 35 seconds of ring time in the last two years, right? He knocked out one guy, 35 seconds. Is that enough for us to go all the way on him? Maybe not, but I have some mutual friends with Ben Paris. So if you guys are watching the show, I ain't disrespecting your boy. I ain't disrespecting your boy. I just got to see a little bit more. This could be a coming out party. Hit another dog ticket on him. You guys would be awesome for that. I'm going to I'm gonna think Bellador is trying to get him a, a loss. And um, I don't know. Hopefully Sullivan Cully just goes to his wrestling early and often. And hopefully the guy can fight for three full rounds because the jury's still out on that one. So, Quick picks. I am going to go with Ryan Bader in the main event. We're going to go Islam Mamadov. We're going to go Aiden Lee. We're going to go Jalila Willis. Don't love this one. I really don't. I think I'm going to go Enrique Barzola. Fuck, I could change that one. Keep keep in tune if I change that one. We're going Chris Gonzalez. We're going Dalton Rosa, Nikita Mikolov, Lucas Brennan, Weber Almeida, and I'm going to go with Sullivan Cauley. So my underdogs, of course, will be Ryan Bader and... Fuck, did I only take one under? It's not going to be a one underdog type of show. You don't got to force every pick. Like, you don't got to put everything on together. But, yeah, I mean, I gotta, I'm going to have to put my big boy pants on and take a couple risks in certain spots. In terms of rating it, like most confident to least confident, I do like Aiden Lee. I do like Chris Gonzalez. Of course, those three big favorites should all get the job done. Beyond that, we need to take some risks. But... 
you know, Islam Mamadov takes him down, stays on top, perfect. If Ryan Bader, it's the main event, you could hedge out once you get to that point. Way harder to hedge out on a 3-1 to favorite, Moldovsky. So if you want to play the hedge out style, probably put Moldovsky on your ticket. Take the easy hedge out on Bader because it's plus money. But regardless, Mamadov does his job. That would be good for us. Jalil Willis, like that one does make me a little bit scared, but he's got the cardio advantage. Barzola, the two-year layoff, don't love it, but, you know, he does have the cardio advantage as well. Chris Gonzalez, that's when could look easy. Rosa Mikolov and Lucas Brennan could all make it look real easy. Weber Almeida, he, not very good, but I think the short-nosed replacement opponent will help him out. And Ben Paris, Sullivan, Colley. I mean, I don't know. Who, who, who knows? Um, I'm going to go with Sullivan, Colley, though. I think that's going to be the pick. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.